Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where... Wow, that was weird. I'm going to keep it in. Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Carl, and with me as always is Zaytan, and clearly I am just really tired. Hello. <laughs> I was going to say, don't feel bad. Even after 147 episodes, we can still get it jumbled, wrangled. Anyway, I'm also, yeah. Yeah, what a, what a week. So uh, Nick, actually, a friend of the show, Nick Sparks, past and future guest, pointed out that it's going to be our sex, what is it, sesquicentennial? What? You know. Oh, what do you mean he's going to be our sex? No. And then quiet. Our, our sexiquitennial, yeah. Our 150th episode soon. And he wanted to know if we had any plans, and I told him we do not have any plans, but maybe we should make some. It's also not yet. It's also falling around Oscars weekend, so maybe we should figure out something to do there. Yeah, we haven't even talked about we will. We will. if we're around that weekend, but I think we should be. So let's do it. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, there were a couple of things we wanted to catch up on. Um, the first one, just very quickly, continuing on our trend of talking of on the, what is now the most important topic in like media for the past couple of weeks, which is the sports joint venture, venture between Disney, Fox, and Warner Bros. Discovery. To not say that every time we talk about it, we are going to adopt the name that media Twitter is using, which is Spulu, or Sports Hulu. Mm-hmm. It's very short, and we really like it. But the news this week was, there were two major news. The first one was, that the Wall Street Journal reported that Spulu might charge up to $50 for their streaming package, which is significantly higher than what I thought they would do, especially considering that it's likely to be bundled with a lot of stuff. And especially because this puts it, this would put it very close to YouTube TV and Fuo and Sling, which are like 75 I think, these days, or mm-hmm. 80, and have significantly more... Uh, content than what these folks are going to have and i saw your reaction you were also surprised yeah okay walk me through the economics again it's 50 dollars on top of what you already pay or so Wall Street. i think the the news was just it was big and it was up to 50 dollars for this bundle and the way they reported it, it was also unclear if it included kind of the base that you would have which might be max or the Disney bundle or whatever, but it sounded like without. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I wonder if they price it like, okay, if you have this, but don't have, like there could be some dynamic pricing opportunities of building your own package or bundle. But the whole point here is that it's a bundle and that it's, it's all rising tides, raise all ships. I think that's the metaphor. So (laughs) yeah. Um, Okay. I mean, it's still, Based off what I know, seems like a hell of a deal. I mean, the thing is, for someone like, let's say me, I do follow sports. I don't follow all the sports. I don't like. I don't have YouTube TV and or anything like that for now, and I'm okay. Fifty plus the bundle that I have, it's already like seventy something, which is very high. Yeah. So I'll be surprised if it's as high as fifty dollars, and if the fifty dollars is just for the bundle. Um, because the other connected news was that the first lawsuit 
officially came in against this joint venture. Which is funny because this joint venture doesn't exist yet. Like, it's unannounced, you know, they announced that they were going to create a company that were going to do this. But Fubo, the over the year, the virtual MVP, mm-hmm. sued, I guess, these three companies. I don't know. I guess cor- corporate America is weird where you can sue someone for the, their plans to do something. Okay. Even if they haven't done it, which is pretty strange. Cool. But uh, at first I was like, okay, their lawsuit is probably going to be a pretty down the middle, like... These guys want to monopolize. They're both, the, you know, they own the content creator and they want to manage distribution. And probably like, uh, so, like, there are so many different avenues right now. This doesn't seem to be like, like, sure, let's look at it. But I don't think they are going to be nearly as close to anything. But apparently a big part of their argument is that Fubo, as a distributor, is making the argument that over the past couple of years, in dealing with these companies, for example, with Disney and ESPN, Every time they were trying to figure out how much to pay for ESPN mm-hmm. rights, Disney forced them to get what we've talked about, right? ABC and Disney Channel and Freeform and whatever 20 uh, other pay yeah. for them. So they were like, wait, these guys have been using their content power against us and messing with the distribution uh, because now they want to distribute. So what's up? Which I thought, I mean, I guess it makes more sense than the other argument i still don't know like with what basis yeah that something would actually happen but. i mean it's it all seems both illegal and legal simultaneously because we have a very loosey-goosey interpretation of antitrust and monopoly and a monopsony and 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 everything that could be driving <laughs> this decision factor but at the end of the day okay Cool. I'll give it to you that, yes, they were playing hardball in negotiations and treating you like a cable package when they were dealing with you as an MVPD. But at the same time, customers can go purchase Disney Plus or Hulu independently of having to get all of those things at once, too, right now. And that's legal. That's totally fair business. We've decided that as a, as a, as a market, that's a fair play. So why is this different and i think it's just because they're left out truly and i think it, it does confirm a little bit uh two weeks ago i think when it was first announced literally hours before we jump on the podcast we mentioned that the kind of the 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 level of the stack or the the players that were going to be hurt the most were probably going to be the virtual mvps um we talked about how the cable providers were already kind of pivoting to internet and they were moving away, like Charter did, and just doing deals directly with some of these content providers. And these VMVPDs were the ones that basically were taking advantage of court quarters that still wanted a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. You know, it was easy, it was cancelled anytime, sign up very easily, blah, blah, blah. And it seems like that's that's actually what's happening. Yeah, I, I mean, we will just continue to watch this story as it is stuck in development i'm excited to see actual official numbers here but it seems like we're probably months years away from that um i will take this as an opportunity to pivot to disney and sony's relationship which actually kind of fits the next two topics but specifically it was announced that sony will be taking over disney's physical home media releasing going forward so I think this is great. I I think it's great because Disney has been really lackluster 
in physical home media, I mean, actively choosing not to release many popular things. Like, physical media is kind of the, um, it's kind of the opposite, of, or it's the sequel to the Encanto Paradox, where you and I are of the opinion that the of with the Encanto Paradox, a coin you termed, why would you not put a movie in theater and get the money that people that want to go to a theater would pay for it, as long as it's profitable and the distribution deals work out, yada yada, which they will with Disney content most of the time. Why would you leave yeah. that money on the table? Same thing in the opposite way. If somebody wants to pay you for a physical release, what's stopping you? I mean, the answer is merchandising on shelves, the largest the largest remaining distributor of physical media, Best Buy, just stopped selling CDs and DVDs and Blu-rays. Like, there are lots of market forces that answer that. But there's still a market for it. And there's a market certainly at scale and at production scale, especially when you're Sony and you manufacture a lot of the actual Blu-ray discs themselves too. So it, it makes sense to not leave money on the table. And I think this is also a natural thing where Disney just wants to offload this competency to a company that is actually really invested in physical media because they're the ones that own the spec and have built entire gaming ecosystems off of it, though to a lesser degree in the last console launch. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, it does feel like one of those things also that Disney was like, why do we have this team in-house? At first, I was like, this is interesting because Disney probably already has teams whose whole job is have a relationship with these retailers because of all the other type of merchandise and licensings that they do. So what this lands is probably like, given the type of production that it entailed, to your point, right? These discs and probably the way that they move and they got, get sold is a little bit different than everything else. It was a separate team. And then suddenly you can partner with, like you mentioned, like literally the parents of Blu-rays and like a company that like we've talked about doesn't have a streaming service. They're still going to continue to invest on this for themselves, for their stuff. And at, at first people were reacting on Twitter as if they were stopping. And it's like, nothing changes. No, this is a like, net as a consumer, There is zero change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This just means Disney is not canceling them in any case. Like, this, they still are going to exist. And to your point, it's just about, with now, the scale can probably be significantly longer for Disney while still being profitable, where it, it might not have been if they had kept it in-house. Um, so, yeah. Though, I want to ask you, what was your first reaction when this happened? Oh, no. I, this was this is what I was going to say. Well, sorry. Carl just shared something <laughs> on my screen. But what I was going to say is that... It's my conspiracy this, theory. The first thing that I thought about, yeah, <laughs> is that this was Bob Iger's way of getting rid to the last remnant of Bob Chapek. Yes. Because, tell us, tell us because about Because Chapek ran... Disney Home Entertainment for over a decade and launched Disney's DVD and Blu-ray ecosystems. Also changed the vault strategy a little bit too, but I think also probably implemented it based on his timing. So yeah, um, maybe there's a, a really a team of a diehard team of JPEG loyalists that Iger had to root out. Though I think you and I are also on the same page that uh, Iger 2.0 was not that much different than the JPEG era. Yeah, but the, when you, you had it up there, when did Tripic run this? Like, was Tripic there during the 90s? Yeah, like so during... he started as a marketing okay. director for Buena Vista Home Entertainment, which was at the time what they yeah. called it. Yeah, like, Home Entertainment, whatever. Um, 
in 93. And yeah. he was running the division by 2006. And then in 2009, he became the president of distribution for Walt Disney Studios. So that also took on theatrical. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because this is also one of the things that I think for now it's so obvious. But also, to your point about the vault, like... I think for a lot of folks today, it would be a surprise to learn that before... I don't remember exactly when the VHS started. Like, 1989? I don't know. Somewhere around there. These movies were not available. Like, the only way to watch everything that any movie... Like, Disney or any other movie had released before was if they decided to re-release it in theaters. Or if they decided to put it in whatever channel they could distribute in cable. But you couldn't access this whenever you wanted in any way, shape, or form. So when VHS and beta or whatever started becoming a thing of like, oh, you can just go rent a movie. It was a huge decision by Disney to say, hey, do we put everything out? Is everything available suddenly? Are we moving away from the way that we continue to make movies that every time we re-release it in theaters, we make a bunch of money? And of course they went with yes. I think James Stewart in Disney World talks a lot about how difficult this decision was and everything that it entailed and the two sides that existed there. But looking back, it was a great decision. Like I think when people still think of VHSs, they think of those plastic white boxes Mm -hmm. that people sometimes say on eBay, like, oh, they're worth whatever, $10,000, which they're not. But anyway, yeah, a significantly more, a significantly bigger milestone i think looking back than what it might seem today totally i i I, you know we could do an entire episode over the history of physical distribution and how it changed things i mean you could look at the ripple effects all the way back to the i mean the reason that george lucas martin scorsese brian de palma the the big film bro pack of the early 70s the reason that they (laughs) all met was because they we're all circling around USC's film school at the time. And a lot of the reason they went to film school was just because they had access to a projector and a library of films that they could watch at any given point. You just couldn't actually access these movies in any way. I mean, we, we bemoan the fact that you can't stream things. Like I watched The Talented Mr. Ripley for the first time the other day, and it was impossible to stream. I had to get it from the library. It was fine. Mm-hmm. But like... That was just the normal case up until the late 80s. And even then, yeah, there were all these issues of like, oh, is this going to cause piracy with VHS? I mean, it did a little bit, but like it also probably sold more VHSs than anything else. And then they fixed that with the DVD plus specs. So, yeah, fascinating thing that we can get into deeper another time. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's super good. Okay. On this point, though, I am, I had a just kind of, eureka moment not necessarily eureka moment because i don't think this is a perfect solve but when i saw this i had never considered was it just to confirm was it an a eureka moment the same way like aristoteles was like you were in the battle ah uh, yes when you had this eureka moment oh okay perfect fantastic i just you know the setting really matters so I was, I was in the bathtub um i mean i actually this is a little tmi i do often shower with my phone i have a big like stand-up glass shower and I like will prop up my phone in the shower so I can listen to podcasts while I'm showering. So sometimes I will like view text messages in WhatsApp like as I'm getting in or out of the shower. So could have happened. I don't think it did. Do you want me to send you like? Do you want me to send you like a waterproof, a ten dollar waterproof wireless? I do need to get some sort of like shower radio sort of situation. But I mean, my phone's perfectly waterproof. It's fine. Anyway, past yeah, the TMI. Sorry. Eureka tangent. Eureka tangent. Yeah. 
I have never considered Sony vis-a-vis an interesting merger target for Disney. But I think actually it would make a weird amount of sense. Not as an acquisition. I really do think that an acquisition of Disney makes zero sense in the market. But Sony, by divesting certain businesses that they've divested over the years, I think lacks certain competencies that Disney has and vice versa with Sony's prominence with, with gaming. I like that could be an interesting overlap and Sony as a company plays in so many verticals simultaneously as well that that would make a lot more sense than Apple to me, even though the brands are, I think, more compatible from people's perspective. Also, Sony's always been like kind of the weird Apple-y, not Apple company. So I don't know. That 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 if I have to make a bold take 2.0, that would be a merger with Sony would not be the weirdest thing in the world to me. Yeah. Tell me more about what are some of these things that you think they would divest. Like, do you think they would just merge with a lot of their media and gaming side, but leave a lot of, like, the electronics behind? Because Sony was also one of these companies that, like, during the cheap revolution, you know, and, like, Japan emergence was just, like, deep, deep tech also because they, they actually built chips and they were some of the first ones to say, what do we use these microprocessors for? And literally things like the Walkman and like radios and any type of electronic that continue to evolve into wireless uh, <laughs> waterproof speakers. Did. Um, so yeah, curious, curious. Tell me more. I, I think, so Sony's facing an innovator's dilemma problem right now in the market, in the gaming market, because they, as a company, have invested so heavily in physical media, less so over the years. But because they are... The, the physical media juggernaut compared to Microsoft. Um, I think they've been reticent to move away from physical media as the distribution strategy. They've also woefully underinvested in cloud gaming, especially compared to Microsoft, where Microsoft is taking a page out of Sony's uh, Sony's film and TV book with hmm. Game Pass and how they're thinking about Microsoft IP in the future. Like It seems like Microsoft games might be available pretty soon after on the PS5 and maybe the Switch 2.0 going forward, but also maybe even day and date in the future. So I could see, I'm curious to see how Sony thinks about that, but I think current Sony probably can't get their head out of their ass and see the PS, the PlayStation electronics division as not part of a flywheel that drives consumption and drives media spend so yeah. i think that's a the device divesting of electronics probably would be wise and to do like sony games plus disney content or just like everything else disney again i don't think disney parks really work without the rest of disney content but i i think that's that's there i mean if we're also going off fox logic uh that gets the rest of the marvel rights in house and prevents uh yeah. madam webs from happening so uh maybe madam's madam webs web does uh connect them all after all yeah i think i i agree with you i like your take i was just checking uh disney's market cap has a close little bigger right 100 billion almost double okay. um sony is 111 so almost double but i i have a sense uh 
this is fun because we get to react live, but at the same time, I haven't looked into it. That I, I would imagine that Sony Media is probably one of the smallest parts of Sony. Yeah. Like, even if you don't count gaming, to your point, where that does feel like a very clean m a opportunity, not only for Disney, but so many folks, right? Just get their studio and get their rights, to your point. Figure out a first look deal or whatever with anything that comes out of gaming you know just figure out a way to maintain that relationship which is doable and i i wonder if there is also some hollywood accounting problem here where we've talked about how uh sony is basically the only uh, studio that feels very comfortable licensing their stuff and I wonder if there is something in the way that they recognize revenue and profit that looks different versus every other studio that is used doing weird stuff behind the scenes to make it seem uh, like, you know, so uh, Disney Plus Division is paying the Disney studio or whatever. So I wonder if there is something there that makes it more complex because suddenly Sony has like great cash flow. Um, but yeah, interesting that even someone like before MGM, like Amazon could have been like, we'll take the Sony studios out of there. But I like that. I th- I agree with Disney that it would make a lot of sense. Okay. Maybe Disney can give them something back. Some of the new gaming stuff that they're doing. There is probably some technology transfer stuff also that they could do or joint ventures with a lot of the, the stuff that Disney does. Ooh, ooh, numbers. Financial statement. Uh, their financial... Statement portal is not great because it's for Sony Group and it's confusing. And they have a, I have a quarterly statement pulled up. It was the fastest thing I could find. So we have the quarterly statement Perfect. in millions of yen for last year for Q4. <laughs> so not very, not the best, but we can at least see proportionality. So we have game and network with, services, with percentages, music, yeah. pictures, entertainment, technology, and services, and um, some other things like imaging. So overall. Game and networks, music, and pictures does really take the cake. The technology and imaging businesses are actually the smallest businesses on on Sony's operating income. This is the page we're looking at. So maybe in terms of revenue, they're higher. But in terms of what's actually driving the day-to-day profitability, it's games, then music, then Sony pictures. And I mean... I again, I think so much of this this business is compatible. I'm assuming gaming, yeah, hardware, gaming hardware is is about half of the game business. So it looks like they operate all the technology stuff as separate businesses anyway. So maybe you leave legacy Sony stuff separately. I don't know, but it does seem like so much of their business is predicated on that. And the other businesses are separate, so maybe it's possible. Huh. Interesting, because I it, there is a world where just to just to give folks some some percentages, like pictures here, which includes motion pictures, television productions, and media networks, are basically ten percent of revenue. Yeah, music is more operating income. It's like, but yeah. Oh, these are okay, okay. It says of, revenue of, here. Of Am I looking at the wrong thing? I think I was looking at an operating income. I don't know. It says revenue on this this page now. So let's say revenue. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Let's say with revenue. So pictures is 10%. Music is around 13%. Uh, 
and games and network services like you mentioned is like 40 yeah yeah the thing that i wonder if this is actually bigger than we think is an area that they call entertainment technology and services which is 20 percent that has something that says televisions and audio and video and i wonder if that's hardware yeah I would assume Which, it and, is. And they are calling it weird because when they call it entertainment, so televisions is literally like the Sony Bravias or whatever. The audio and video are like cameras. and st Oh, well, still and video cameras. Audio and video are probably cell phones, speakers, other yeah. types of screens. And, and they don't, Which in this they case, don't sell D2C content anymore, right? It's all through other streamers. They don't have their own content network. Yeah. So, yeah. Which in that case, that section is almost twice as big as pictures. Yeah. And it's the same size as pictures and music. So the way I would do this is Disney gets pictures. Tell me what you think of this proposal. Okay. I'm building on your take. Disney gets pictures. Universal or Warner Music get mm -hmm. music. And then Sony keeps everything else. They keep gaming, which includes the hardware, so PlayStation. They keep entertainment technology and services, which includes their television business, their still and video cameras, mobile communications, television, so hardware stuff. And they keep a lot of their, they, they have some other high tech stuff around imaging and sensing uh, solutions. That basically takes out of Sony around, only around 12%, why would this be? It's around 20% of the revenue mm -hmm. that gets to Disney. So Sony maintains a pretty sizable business that I agree with you in terms of like there is this flywheel that they are probably telling themselves it's a flywheel that doesn't have to be there the, I, I can understand the I gaming anything... flywheel but sure. in terms of the, the music and pictures I don't think that those but influence even... hardware sales at all if, yeah even the gaming like if this was the opposite of oh these gaming services independent and a studio is buying them to create the flywheel my mind would go, oh, this is BS. You guys could just reach a deal to have a first look right. Yeah. Like, you don't need to actually be in the same company to have this flywheel. And that's kind of where my mind goes to this, where suddenly if Sony ever needs a little bit of leeway or their shareholders ever start being like, this legacy music and entertainment business is bringing our, you know, our multipliers down, let's do something. I, I love your take. I think there is something here where it's not even out of Sony. It's just it's just the pictures part. Yeah. And then music also doesn't fit anymore, but that can go somewhere else. <laughs> I, I think there's an opportunity here. And, and even just like a pure merger of both businesses would not be the most disastrous thing because I think that's how most lay people are thinking about a Disney acquisition, which to our many, we've made this point multiple times. That's kind of a silly idea. But if these two companies just said, okay, we're merging, Maybe there might be some culture shock between a Japanese owner and a American owner. But even then, the pictures and music businesses are both based in L.A., as are most of the game businesses at this point. So it's not at the end of the not the most ridiculous thing from a culture perspective either. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Um, This is great. I'm going to I'm going to think about this over the next week and bring more thoughts, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Speaking of hardware, I heard someone has Vision Pro thoughts. Yeah, I 
had the chance during my lunch break today to go walk over to the Apple Store from my office and try a nice. Vision Pro demo. So it was about a 30-minute experience. Uh, about half of that experience was just sizing to make sure that I had the right face shield and size a loop and whatever. And and even then it wasn't perfect, but I was like, this is a demo. I'm not going to complain about not being able to see, especially since I don't have an intent to buy here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there were some comments that came out last week from Mark Zuckerberg where he said that he's tried the Vision Pro. He thinks it's an admirable product, but ultimately he still thinks that the MetaQuest 3 is probably the best headset on the market. And honestly, I have not, I have not tried the MetaQuest 3. The last thing I used was a Oculus Go 2. So it's been a while. I have not tried any other mixed reality headsets or even a modern MetaQuest. That said, extrapolating from the experience I had today versus the Oculus Go 2 experience, um, certainly a the human computer interaction model is definitely like blackberry to iphone level impressive like being able to the eye tracking is seamless even when the fit wasn't perfect i still had some light coming in through the light shield but looking being able to click with your fingers and and drag and 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 everything just by using a, a pinch motion was incredibly intuitive a little spotty i'd say maybe one out of every 20 attempts completely blind never trying it before didn't quite work but i think that's more of a me learning thing and me understanding the, the physics and inertia of it but oh sure but overall um like it was a it's the apple version of what i've seen before like it was a i could still sense that i was viewing the world through a camera it still felt very digital uh, the white balance, everything, like the color was great, but it still felt like I was viewing a pass-through screen. And between the depth of field and the fact that it's not quite a true, from to use Apple's terminology, retina display, like I could tell I was wearing a VR headset. Was it the best one that I've ever worn? Absolutely. But is it something where if I am investing personally in a VR headset for the use cases I would use it for, which is mostly content consumption then I'd probably choose a MetaQuest for the price point. Like it is not $3,000 better, even though the the interaction model is much, much better and really cool and intuitive. I don't think that is worth the additional expense, especially since the ecosystem's not really there yet compared to MetaQuests. Awesome. Oh yeah. I mean, fresh, fresh of the oven yeah. takes couple of hours ago that's interesting i think that's uh i mean in line with most of the things that are coming out and i think probably apple coming in is what kind of what they expected right like guys this is kind of b1 this is not where everything is going to come out but it does feel like the pressure is on right they probably have what would you say well if, if they try to do yearly i guess they might have two generations to figure it out if they do like every two years maybe just the next generation is where it has to feel yeah like uh yeah people either because the price came significantly down or the features went significantly up it's so that it feels like a mass market that they're creating it's definitely the most underwhelming 
v1 apple product i'd used in a while a long time like executed perfectly for what it is but does not feel like a true level up in the way that even like we've compared this to the apple watch a lot and the fact that, that took a lot of runway to get going and to figure out what the the point of that product was in the market the first time i tried an apple watch it did feel radically different and better than any other smartwatch i'd own and i was a person who had owned a smartwatch previously which was kind of a, a rare person in that early market so yeah uh a little disappointed, but at the same time, like, great to not feel any FOMO. Exactly, yeah. Feeling FOMO for that $3,500 product with, what, a $1,000 Apple Care and $500 travel case and whatever. Yeah, you don't want to make an impulse buy for something. Not like at all. Yeah. No, oh, that's fun. I'm glad you did it. Did the... the did you feel like there was some excitement around it from like, were there people in line? Were there people looking at you? Were, yeah. Is there still an, ex I'm sure you were excited, but like, how I was, I was excited. There were like four different demos being run at the same time. Um, so there were people all around me. They bring you over to, they have new benches that they put in that are just kind of the circular bench area where you sit and you use it. Very conversational experience. I checked in. There were people before and after me actually signing up to do demos later in the day. So then there was an excitement, oh. but... Uh, oh, so, so they have space. They do have space. Yeah. And there were people all over at the Genius Bar, I think, setting up units as well. So certainly more people engaging with it than honestly I expected this far after launch, which I mean, it's not that far, but for a product that is not the buzziest in terms of the consumer market, it's pretty far. But ultimately, yeah, just whelming. It was fine. Whelming. I like that. Um, I wouldn't say that's a bombshell to end on. Uh, but that's interesting. That's cool. Did you have an AUA? Uh, I don't have an AUA because I want to take the remaining of our time, a bit of our time to talk about Madam Web. Is that your AUA? I was going to say. Cool. Yes. Speaking of Sony and whatever Marvel rights they have. Yeah, go for it. Why yeah. Did you Can't show you so I am... I try to be somewhat of a, a connoisseur whenever I hear a movie is like insane bad as opposed to just bad. Um, I've jokingly said that this is, I've only seen two 2024 movies and this is the best one that I've seen. The other being Lisa Frankenstein, the Diablo Cody scripted theoretically film with Catherine Newton and uh, Cole Sprouse. Like that was just kind of boring, yeah. poorly executed kind of nonsense. <laughs> Kind of disappointingly so. I was expecting a lot more, especially from a Diablo Cody script. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Madame Web. And ultimately, like, I've seen Cats in the theater, like, four times. I love Cats. I love movies that are bizarre misfires more than I like just, like, movies that are bad. Um, as someone who once in a while checks in with Marvel, I didn't find this to be actually that much worse from a visual level than a marvel movie in fact the effects looked fine like it's not like cg goop and grayness in the way that a lot of the most recent phase of marvel movies have been um overall i'm kind of nonplussed by the whole thing like i had a lot of fun watching it in the theater it was fun watching it in a theater of people that were clearly excited to be there kind of ironically like me but it's just a mediocre 2000s era superhero movie that seems 
edited and cut to hell in a way that makes it kind of incomprehensible. And it's simultaneously like the worst of 2020s superhero movies in terms of everything has to set up other things. Like Mm -hmm. there are three other spider women that are introduced in the movie who you never see them get powers or use powers except for a couple of dream sequences. So you have these three girls along for the ride the whole time that uh, Dakota Johnson is theoretically mentoring slash taking care of, but that goes nowhere within the internal story of the film. Pretty wild. I would say overall, it's, I think it's great as a star showcase for Dakota Johnson's weird apathetic brand of stardom where like if you haven't seen her architecture digest video i highly recommend it it has the same energy as this performance where she just it's clear that she's the very intelligent nepo baby of two big hollywood stars that just kind of doesn't care slash doesn't need to care Mm -hmm. and i've seen her give good performances this isn't necessarily a good one but it didn't require a good one and it's a lot of fun watching her be a chaos agent in a bad movie who just doesn't care about making the movie any better. And in fact, kind of does ironically. So it's worth watching for that, but I, it's not going to go on my Mount Rushmore of famously weird, bad movies that I'm actually weirdly kind of obsessed with. Got it. Okay. So I might use like my third weekly, a list thing on something maybe next week. Yeah, I, I, I'd say it's worth seeing for free with a theater membership. And it's worth seeing with friends. It's just kind of a funny thing to do for an evening. But it's not it's not going to be the Hall of Fame of bad movies. And I think part of the secret is that it's a weirdly functional movie despite being a movie that on paper doesn't make any sense and makes a lot of goofy, bizarre, bad decisions. Got it. Well, you were definitely nicer to it than I thought you were going to be. Yeah. I mean, I'm an easy, I'm an easy mark. If you look at my letterbox curve, I've said this, like, I have more five-star ratings than anything else. So, yeah, I gave this, I think, three stars, which is just kind of like a movie that doesn't exist to me, as opposed to (laughs) a movie that's horrendously bad or an interesting oddity, which is like a three and a half. So my star system's incredibly messed up, but... Yeah, I'm glad people are having fun with it. Um, I love to go to Johnson generally, so it's it's worth engaging with, but it is. I don't think you need to run out and do it. It is what it is. Okay. That's still helpful to know. I won't. <laughs> um, great to catch up, my friends. As always, yeah. I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you next week. Catch you later. Catch you later.